Welcome to the Property Business Accelerator podcast with your host, Mike Frisbee. Mike is a well-respected property investor and has built up a high-yielding residential property portfolio across the Southeast since 2006. Mike is well known for his HMO expertise and for specializing in delivering high-end, premium and affordable HMO living spaces. Complex property knowledge made simple, direct from the property front line with Mike Frisbee. Welcome to today's episode of the Property Business Accelerator podcast. And um, I'm delighted today, actually, that uh, with my guest uh, that I've managed to persuade him to come on today's podcast. A busy man as he runs his own business, as he is the founder and CEO of Ideal Fatmate. So welcome, Tom. Um, I've got Tom Gatson here, who I've known for ooh, probably about three years. Uh, and he's been he basically launched Ideal Flatmate about five years ago. And it is now the second largest house sharers platform in the country. But he's got a novel twist. And I love his little twist that he's got um, because I think Spare Rooms had it all. has had it all its own way. Uh, and obviously we've got all these other portals. And actually, I like what he's doing. And um, I did end up investing in his company. It's not often that I say that. Um, so I'm really excited to see the developments, to see the history, to see what's going on here. Um, so, Tom, do you want to introduce yourself? And then we'll get into what Ideal Flatmate is and um, what that little twist is. Well, thanks for that very kind intro, Mike. I couldn't have really said it better myself. Um, but yeah, no, really good uh, to be on this podcast and thanks for inviting me on. Um, yeah, as you say, I mean, we we launched the business of Ida Flatmate about six years ago now, which kind of seems crazy. It feels like it's still pretty new, but that's actually not that new. <laughs> um, and yeah, the kind of, we wanted to build a flat sharing platform that was slightly different to the portals that were out there, like Spare Room and like Easy Roommate at the time. Um, and it came about just really a conversation in the pub between the, my best mate, Rob, and myself. We were students at UCL together. We'd use existing sites like Gumtree, Spare Room, and we kind of thought, it's crazy there's not a platform which helps you match up with people based on your lifestyle living habits. And this is at a time where you know sites like Tinder were taking off and that you could match for anything, but you couldn't match with somebody who you're going to live with. Um, and of course, as you know, everyone of our generation in their 20s, early 30s have to share because of you know the way the housing market is going or, and rent. So yeah, we, we thought, look, let's try and solve this problem. Let's try and find a way to make it easier to find compatible people to live with. And that was the kind of genesis uh, of the website. Yeah, brilliant. So that little twist of Ideal Flatmate is, as you said, I didn't I didn't want to put that word in there, but you use the word Tinder. So it, yeah. I, I do describe it sometimes to people as the sort of uh, the uh, dating website of, <laughs> of uh, finding houses. Um, but you've got some kind of algorithm questionnaire that kind of match people. Do you want to do you want to explain a little bit how that works? Yeah, so basically when we started, we kind of were racking our brains and were like, how do we actually match people up? And, you know, because basically, you know, sites before just basically asked your location, your budget, and then sent you a spew of houses and housemates that were in those areas. Um, and we wanted to do something based on your lifestyle and your living habits. So we basically got in touch with some of the top universities, Oxford, Cambridge, UCL, um, and asked them if they had any sort of spare <laughs> professors lying around that might be able to help us. Um, luckily, Cambridge got back in touch and sent us a few of their professors who'd be who said they were interested in you know working on a project. 
Um, and they basically ran what is called a factor analysis test. We ran a study of 2000 flat sharers in London and the rest of the UK and asked them 100 questions that were relevant to um, you know, how they would get on with someone that they lived with. And they basically ran an analysis on all those questions and boiled it down to the 20 most relevant questions, which we now ask people when they sign up to the site. So they range from obvious things like, is it, it's basically a scale and you can answer between one, one to six on how important you weight that this factor. But there's basically things like how, you know, how clean do you like your flat? To silly things like, do you keep a spice rack tidy? And like, there's basically... And, <laughs> those sort of answers are thrown back into the algorithm and then you're given a percentage match score with all the other people that have signed up, which hopefully allows you to make a better informed decision of who you live with. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's amazing. I didn't realise it went down to the spice rack. And, uh, what <laughs> that's spice, the one that catches people out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What spices are on the spice rack or how tidy your spice rack is? Um, you know, do you like chilies or, or are, you, yeah. <laughs> are you a salt and pepper man uh, or, or woman? Uh, that's that's quite interesting so so how's the business going you've been going for about six years now how how, how have you found that whole journey yeah, it's been good i mean there's been a lot of challenges we kind of the first year or two was just sort of charging around trying to do everything and you know grow 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 and you know we were fortunate enough to get a lot of good investors on early who kind of liked the idea and, and saw a lot of potential in it and that allowed us to grow quite quickly early so from a standing start, we sort of quickly got up to a few hundred thousand users per month, which was pretty pretty good going. Again, we also initially launched in London and then we were able to launch across the UK. So we launched in all the other major cities and we're now UK wide. And then it went we went around, you know, hiring a team. So we got a great team of developers on board, good marketing team, good PR team. Um, and that allowed us, yeah, to grow very quickly. And then it was kind of a sort of stage of consolidation and you know, maybe we sort of, one of the big lessons, maybe we grew too quickly and we sort of tried to hire too many people for roles that weren't necessarily needed. Um, and so about two years ago, just before the pandemic, we kind of took a step back and sort of looked at what the business actually needed. Um, had to make a few difficult decisions around roles and, and maybe sort of consolidated a bit and try to focus on areas where the business would actually grow. So rather than try to service the whole market and the whole rental market, which is, you know, it's just massive and not necessarily achievable, we've sort of fine-tuned the product and sort of honed in on one particular sector of the rental market, uh, which is the built-to-rent market, um, which is the kind of area that's growing quickest in, in, in the rental market. So, yeah, it's been an interesting journey and, and a lot of lessons in there, for sure. And um, along that way, you've... Um basically had to track some investment um, into the business. And um, uh, so how, how have you gone about that? What, what, what was your tactics? Because I know, um, you know, people listening, if you're in property, it's always, everyone's always interested how people have raised money. I know it's not for a property project, but it's mm -hmm. still for a business. It's still, you still got to go through a lot of the same things. Um, so how did you go about that? What were the main things that you did there? And who, who were you talking to? I guess, yeah, I guess it's similar in a way to raising money for property investors because, I mean, yeah, investors want to see the, your plan, want to see your financials and want to see the kind of return investment they're likely to get. So from that point of view, I guess the process is, is a similar one. And, yeah, it starts with that. It starts with working out the financials um, and having a clear plan to growth. And then, yeah, as, as you would know, you know, we, we put a pitch deck together, talk through with potential investors where we see the business going and where we see the opportunities and then 
hope to convince enough people to kind of jump on the bandwagon and yeah initially it was you know we, we were lucky to get some good connections from people that we used to work with so I used to work in financial PR and a couple of my old bosses actually kind of got involved early and invested in the business because they liked the sound of it and thought, thought it was a good concept um and then it was just you know shoe leather of just sort of <laughs> charging around the city trying to meet as many people as possible and trying to speak to as many angels and small independent funds to try and get them to invest and yeah it was an interesting process I mean got I mean we must have met probably 150 people I think in terms of funds and, and individuals and you know it was kind of a frustrating well, I would say because I mean every meeting we kind of learned something that's what we always took away from it because whether somebody invested or not they'd normally have some advice or have some feedback and it was always you know useful feedback to be fair so yeah it was a it was a definitely an interesting challenge and we were pleased to kind of raise the funds that we did yeah yeah, so how, how, do you mind me asking how much you've had to raise over over time? We've raised two and a half million. Um, yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, so fair fair amount of money um, to to make it all work. And um, so where where are you trying to take Ideal Flatmate now? So now that you've raised the money, you've obviously made it through the COVID period, which might have been a bit a bit nerve wracking for you, um, like a lot of many businesses. Um, but where are you, which direction are you taking Ideal Flatmate now? Yeah, so as I kind of touched on, you know, in a way the COVID period helped because it allowed us to take a step back and look at areas that were actually growing in the business um, and sort of plan for the future and plan to really attack those areas. So as you probably know, there's a section called the built to rent sector, which is growing quite fast in the UK. And there's a lot of institutional funds coming in building large blocks of rental properties and basically trying to shift them as quickly as possible. And the challenge that they've got is they're quite highly priced, um, especially for the two and three beds. And the struggle, I mean, a lot of them actually came to us and said, we need to share a platform that's going to match people up and put them into those two and three bed properties. So although we're still servicing the whole market in terms of landlords can still list the properties on us and they've got a, a good percentage of flat shares coming through our doors, we're really focusing the products to service the built-to-rent market. Um, and we've had a quite a few conversations in the US now about launching Ida Blamay out in the States, um, which is kind of on our two to three-year horizon, which we're very excited about. We have to change the name, though, which is an annoying thing, because I don't have a clue what flatmates are out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess you'll have to have a different brand or, or, or something, you know, it'll be, what, what do they call them, duplexes or... Yeah, well, it's multi-family units is what they call it. Um, and it's also roommates, so... Yeah, is it maybe room jet? Yeah, ideal, yeah, flatmate, ideal roommate. Was yeah. Room? Yeah, so... Um, but did it, did it? But is that a common term, you know, multi-family unit? Because I, I know that, you know, you hear in the property circles, multi-family, you know, multi-family unit. Um, but that, that, to me, isn't like a consumer term. It's a bit, um, you know... Like like we call house shares HMOs because that's the technical term for them. Yeah, but not many people who live in HMOs say I live in an HMO. They say I live in a house share. Yeah, or, you know I'm I'm renting a room or you know um, it's not the same. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've I've never worked out this multi. I think it's no. an industry industry term rather than and which has come over from the states um, from that. So that that's quite exciting. International 
it's a consumer it's not really a consumer brand term either is it it's the same as build to rent like no if you ask that you know anyone on the street i don't think anyone would know what that meant so no no exactly but it is it's an interesting development i i do find the whole build to rent an interesting development in the whole marketplace it is something that is obviously required as as you know demand for rentals continues to go up um but it's it's definitely um a sector that's that's going to expand and expand and expand and I guess they are, you know, in key, key, uh, you know, cities around the country, aren't they? So you, are you, I know when I first came across you, you were sort of quite, um, you weren't across the whole country. Are you now across the whole country or just, you know, how's your geographical spread across the UK these days? Yeah, we've kind of, yeah, we've launched across the country now. So, I mean, you can list on the site if you're anywhere, um, but the highest percentage areas are kind of the, the big university cities that have kind of spread yeah. into the, yeah, you know, younger professionals live there. So you're London. Exactly. It's kind of like where where do these people live? Because they're not they're not they're probably not living in the Welsh Hills or something like yeah, that. Exactly. So, yeah. so you're not going to have much uh, traction there. It's always going to be those kind of busy, hustling, bustling cities, which is often where you find the universities, isn't it? And people, I think sometimes people hang around their university city afterwards for a while, trying to yeah. thinking that it might stay that that fun might stay a bit longer, but then they realise they've got to get a job and actually yeah. <laughs> party as much as as maybe they can in, in in the in the work environment so what would you say has been your biggest learning if you were like going to give a business tip out to someone or you know what would you say now looking back over the last five years mm. or six years would you say is one of the key things that you've taken out of all of this yeah that's a good question I think it's it's probably the biggest thing is having good people around you so you know I was lucky to find in a co-founder in Rob, he was a very good friend of mine and we kind of trust each other completely and have a, you know, kept a really strong relationship throughout. Um, and our, you know, our chairman is a guy called Jonathan Baines, who I mentioned, I used to work with at Tolkien and he's a senior, you know, he's chairman of a couple of FTSE 250 businesses. So again, got complete trust there and know that, you know, if we need anything, we can go to him for advice. And a number of early investors are real, you know, value add investors who brought a lot to the table. So, I think, yeah, just the value in having good people around you that, you know, when times do get tough and, you know, as you mentioned, COVID was a difficult time and it was a bit scary when kind of you see all the numbers drop and, you know, no one's looking for a fracture suddenly. Um, but to have people that have been through, obviously not COVID before, but, you know, recessions and, you know, difficult times, that can kind of point you the right way has been really helpful for us. Yeah, that, that that's good. That's good. And so what roughly what size is your team these days? How many people do you have at Ideal Flatmate? So we've got about 15 in total, um, including our tech guys and yeah, our kind of full-time team. So yeah, it's still in a small business, but you know, we yeah, we I mean to be fair, we had to trim back a bit. As I mentioned, we kind of probably overhired initially and we were just kind of, you know, thinking about all the possible things we could be doing and wanted to hire for those roles, but then as we stripped out the business and we sort of worked out, is this actually driving any value or is there much point to it? We kind of, we had to pull a few people back, but yeah. yeah. Tough, tough and hard decisions and probably learned through that as well. But how do you, how, so how have you managed to keep the culture going and the, the motivation and everything through this time, you know, just generally as a business, because obviously startup exciting, da, da, da. But as you say, you're suddenly like five, six years in 
And I know you said, well, gosh, it still feels new to me, even though we've now got six years, because you're still probably in that frame of mind. You're probably still striving because it's not where you want it to be, the, the, this vision that you had in your head. So for you, it's like, we're still new. We're still new. We, you know, we've got to get out there. We've got to do stuff. So how do you keep all of that energy, all that uh, focus in the business? And obviously through the, the COVID times, it's probably been a little bit harder. So what have you, have you done anything particularly different or, or what's what's been your sort of, key elements to keep everyone happy and everyone working and keep keep the quality of people that you said that you need around you I think it was definitely hard initially I mean we were quite lucky because we were set up to remote work so a lot of the time we did remote working anyway and we were quite flexible with people and we said look if you want to work from home x number of days a week that's completely fine um but yeah there was definitely some challenging moments when we had to make some of the harder decisions and let people go and things like that and you know, fortunately, the people that stayed on are really, you know, good people that kind of understood the business and understood why decisions had to be made. And we tried to be as open people as possible. So we didn't keep things quiet. And, you know, we've just, we kind of talked to everyone in the sort of company as though they were founders as well. So we just told everyone what was going on the whole time. So they knew, you know, what was happening. They knew where things weren't going well, where things were going well and what we needed to do. So I think giving people that kind of, information and just treating them like adults i guess kind of kind of helps quite a bit yeah i i i yeah i, I agree with you on that and that i think you know in order to gain trust you kind of need to be fairly open yourself mm. uh, and if you're open then people trust and then they understand why you're making certain decisions i guess and can probably add more value themselves definitely and contribute more more yourself i i listened to um a very interesting podcast I've forgotten his name, um, but it was an interview with the guy who actually um, owns Timpsons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he has a really, really interesting philosophy on it. He calls them colleagues, I think, rather than staff, um, and had a very, very interesting view about how, you know, it's all about trust. And he has very few rules within his organisation. And it's all about trust. And it's all about empowering people and trust and um, creating that culture and trust. And he says it's all about culture and he spends all his time, well, not all his time, but a lot of his time all around that, all about the people, keeping people happy within the organisation. And then he says everything else will look after itself. And it was a really interesting, mm. um, really interesting philosophy. And it sounds yeah. like you've kind of tried to keep that information transparent and uh, through it, throughout this time. And so what's, you know, what is your objective? You talked about going into America, expanding internationally, but where, when you set it up, you, this might be different. So I'm going to ask you the question <laughs> twice. <Yeah. laughs> you know, when you set it up, where did you see this business going and what was your kind of like vision for it? And, and like now that you're here five years in, you know, sometimes it all changes, partly because maybe it's not quite, you know, you learned and developed a lot. But when you set out, you were like, right, this is our vision. This is where we want to go. What, where were you heading? What, what did you see for yourself? Did you have like a 10-year plan? Were you looking to exit? What were you doing? And, and where are you now on it? Has that changed at all? Yeah, it has changed. I mean, when we started, we were probably quite naive. And, you know, it was our first business. We were pretty much out of uni. And we were just like, we want to be the biggest. We want to be number one. We want to, you know, be the biggest flat sharing site globally um and we probably didn't realize how hard that would be and just, you know when you're taking on companies that have been around for 20 years that have got so much brand recognition and they've just you know know the market i've got the market sewn up it's quite a big challenge to take someone like that on and beat them um 
so yeah initially we were like yeah let's beat spare room in the uk then let's go over to europe let's do it there <laughs> you know let's then do the states um and whereas our goal now is still be the best in what we're doing i think we've just we've kind of reined it in a bit and worked out what our niche is and as you said initially our usp was around matching and around bringing people together and if you're trying to service the whole market it's quite hard to do that because you just don't have you know the control you're not able to do that you're just trying to blitz everyone and go into every area rather than having a bit of finesse into what you're doing. So we've yeah. worked out where our matching works well is in these built-to-rents properties and in larger units with smaller numbers of people going into those. Yeah. So we, if we can do that really well in with the clients they're working with and take that into other countries, that's a better sort of fit for us for what yeah. is meant to do. Yeah, I, th I think that's probably right because I guess this this whole concept is wrapped around this sort of share, you know, matching matching sharers um, together. And um, I, I, I'm a great believer as well. It's it's I think as Americans say, it's riches in niches. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we we say it differently. It doesn't quite work. Uh, niches, um, yeah. but I think niching down is is a really good way, and it sets yourself apart and then it, I think it's also harder for others to then copy. And if you do that really well, then that's going to work. So I, you know, do you, uh, are you thinking, can we, cause, cause for me, one of the big things in property moving forwards and, you know, certainly things that I'm focusing on um, why I like all of this concept around, you know, matching people together is you want to create, I, I, I talk about creating communities. So I want to create communities. So um, one of the things that I'm, I'm doing is, um, I think I mentioned to you is is um, you know looking to buy big blocks of flats through a uh, fund you know through a fund structure and then creating communities within those funds. So it's not built to rent, but it's very very similar and creating communities within those blocks um, uh, because I think also this pandemic has really raised that as a as a thing that you know local communities seem to have come back one because we can't travel around, but also we you know everyone needed help and support and people rallied as the you know the good and the human being. Um, came out i think yeah. uh, in this whole pandemic of helping people you know the less fortunate and making sure people are okay and i think that's the thing there's loneliness within the uk i think the pandemic has amplified that therefore the need for community communities have been amplified as well so do you see you know ideal flatmate being able to play a key part in in sort of creating communities or or is it just literally the front end of matching people up and then you're off to find another match and find another match or have you thought about, you know, is there any other services you could do or anything like that around Ideal Flatmate? Or is it literally just like, let's match people up, move people in, then they've got a good, you know, then they're going to stay longer. And I guess one of your part of your business models here for the bill to rent is like, I should imagine, and I don't know whether you've ever tracked this, is that you probably get people living longer in the, in the properties that you um rent out um you're probably doing yourself a disservice because then they don't come back again know, yeah. quickly but you know um there's i liken this to another guy who i know who works in recruitment and he has a particular process to recruit people and it's a very lengthy process um not necessarily lengthy but it's, it's detailed I, yeah. lengthy is probably the wrong word you know the same he's trying to get to understand the match between the recruitee and the company and he makes sure he matches them mm. and his his you know there's a big turnover and sometimes recruiters get it wrong and you know that's very costly because the fees are pretty expensive um headhunters get it wrong so um he's got a track record and he records it of of like his length of stay is something like three times mm. um 
any any of his competitors, which um, is a fantastic which is a problem as well in a way. <laughs> it is a problem in a way, yeah, yeah. but that's you know, and then it's a premium service. So have you have you tracked this thing? I mean, I, we, I went on a bit of a waffle and lost the question there, but um, you know, are, are, do your renters stay for longer? Is is that something that you've tracked before? That's literally like the key bit of information that we want. We want to be able to say, look, people that have moved through us stay together for 18 months because the average tenancy is 11 months in a flat chair. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, it's just quite hard to get their data. So what we do is we follow up with our sharers regularly that have moved in and ask them how they're doing and you know how they're getting on. Rather than just wait to hear if they're still together 30 months, 18 months later, we, we ask after six months, we do a happiness score. So we ask them how happy they are in their flat share. Oh, that, that's really cool. Yeah. And then we also ask them how happy we, we ask people that didn't move in with our match technology, how happy they, they are. Um, and fortunately for us, it turned out that people were 30% happy of the ones that are taking the matching questions, um, which is a good indicator that they're likely to stay longer. Um you know, obviously there's still chance events can happen and people can move for a variety of reasons, but it was nice to sort of see that people were happier and more content in their flat shares after having used our survey. So, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, happiness is then leads to probably, you know, people won't want to move out because they're happy where they are. Less um, like Nestle need to move. Obviously circumstances might change and you know, mm -hmm. physical locations might change and all kinds of things might change. But I guess mm -hmm. if, if happiness is right, then that that's, that's good. I, I think that's a really key thing. I mean, for me, longevity of tenancy is something that I now as a bit more of an experienced landlord and I can look back over longer years. And, and something that I think, you know, the, the listeners should bear in mind is I find long-term tenants so much more profitable than, than the short-term tenants. Mm. Um, you know, and it's not, a, not necessarily about absolute price. It is about length of tenancy really yeah. drives profitability because a turnover costs money, avoid costs money, and inevitably, when there's a turnover, there's probably some maintenance to do. So you have to touch up a bit of paint somewhere or something is slightly broken. And uh, and the old tenants got used to it and the new tenant comes in. So you're not aware of it. And then the new tenant comes in and then there's a few things to fix. And that costs money, too. So your maintenance yeah. goes up and um, you've got a bit of a void somewhere. And obviously, you've got the cost of the, the, the changeover, especially if you're using a tenancy, uh, a, 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 um, mm. a uh, agent. Um, so that really hits your profitability. So, you know, it is something that I think is a key thing, length of tenancy. Um, and it sounds as though that you're starting to um, get people to stay longer. And, and as you say, one of the things with running, you know, I'm an HMO landlord, is that constant churn of tenants, whereas in single lets and non-sharing properties, they do tend to stay longer. So it is, think, yeah. if, we can, if we can get that length of tenancy, and I think it's also the service that the, landlords providing as well which i guess you can't track but um uh as well um but it would be interesting to see whether if you've got different groups of build to renters whether they have different lengths of tenancies uh, as, as well and it might be down to their customer service as well so um yeah. well it's interesting you say that because i think that that's the reason some landlords are reluctant to get into the hmo market just because of that single fact that you know long-term tenancies are more profitable and just Leads to an easier life, I guess. And it, it know, is easier, yeah. I mean, single lets are easier to manage than multi. Yeah. you know, definitely. Um, so much more. And you know, family houses are great because tenancy, what if you get family moving in? But they have the lowest yield, so you get the lowest return. But if you yeah. can get them there and you can get the maths right on it, uh, they can be quite good because if they stay, you know, 
for eight, 10 years, then that, that's, you know, very low. Um, I recently had a family move out of the house and they'd been there for eight years, you know. So, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and it, so that was great, um, you know, and, um, you know, you look back and the profitability there um, is is pretty good. Um, and obviously they were happy, you know, yeah. so I'm yeah. happy to score. I assume they were happy anyway, because <laughs> they stayed so long. Sure you would have heard about it, if not. <laughs> Maybe they couldn't just move anybody anywhere else. But, yeah. um yeah, so that, that that that's the thing, you know. House house, you know, single let houses are great, but actually profitability does come from house shares. So if you can combine house shares and longevity um, by using ideal flatmate, yeah, exactly. uh, then then you you're gonna um, you're gonna do well. So um, uh, so you you're heading, you're sticking to your niche. Um, you're thinking about going out to the States. I guess that's in a few years' time, and you've probably still got quite a bit of work to do in this um, in the UK as it stands. Yeah. Um, what um, I was going to ask, what, what's, what's been a big influence on your career to date? So is there any book, any podcast, or anything like that that you've listened to that you felt, yeah, that, that's really good? Um. Oh, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in terms of podcasts, I mean, I don't listen to a huge amount. I mean, the Tony Robbins ones are good, obviously, just to kind of get you motivated and <laughs> sometimes have some good tips. And there was a guy who was the guy that wrote the 24 hour, or the four hour working week. Yeah, that's Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. Yeah, I used to listen to it. I read a couple of his books and they were pretty good. And um, the Tools of the Titans was quite good because it just gave like a brief. Yeah, because that's that, I think that's a summary of a lot of his because he yeah. was one of the first podcasters. Yes, um, yeah. he was one of the first people to get into podcasting, and I think it's probably must be one of the top podcast show him yeah. and Joe Rogan and these yeah. other ones. So if I can I can follow in his footsteps with my podcast, yeah. I'll be very pleased. Um, there's, there's, I've got a friend of mine who runs a podcast called On the Edge with Andrew Gold, and that's a really good one. Um, it kind of speaks to sort of slightly extreme characters, but a lot of people in business as well and slightly wackier kind of stories that you hear on there. So that, that's quite an interesting one that keeps me amused. Um, and as I was saying before the show, I recently read the book called Sapiens, mm. um, which is, yeah, I definitely recommend that. Um, just fascinating insight into kind of how humanity evolved and how we've kind of changed a species and got some frightening lessons in there as well about <laughs> our potential downfall. But <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, yeah so that's that, that, yeah that's amazing thing so where where so we've talked a bit about the growth of the business what you're planning to do but what about tom himself uh, i'm always intrigued by, by in the person behind it all as well mm. where do you see yourself in 10 years if i said like let's project for 10 years because i think i think people think you know they they think they can overachieve you know what they set out to do the next year is often a you know they they're a bit optimistic we can achieve this this and this and it might take them a couple of years to do it but over 10 years we seem to be under optimistic because i think yeah. we're, you know um but where 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 would you like to be you know you could be like oh well i've sold this or i've mm -hmm. uh, you know i'm on a beach now or playing golf as people you know they often see it you but most entrepreneurs i find that it runs in their blood and they want to continue they want to either do multiple businesses or want to continue to grow their business Mm. um but where where's where would you see tom in in 10 years time yeah that's it's like you say it's an interesting one because you often plan three years ahead or five years but not 10 years so um 
I think it's like you say, it's sort of in your blood after a while. Because it's like, there's been times during this and I thought, oh, it'd be so much easier if I stayed in like a sort of a PR job and I was just sort of working with lots of clients and you were sort of just like taking the salary and just, you know, not having to be stressed. But the kind of buzz you get from building something and things going well when they're going well and even the downs like make you appreciate sort of highs more. So I think, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, you know, as... Yeah, run ideal flatmate as long as possible and make it a success from it and then you know go again and build something else or you know try to launch another company even when you know i've stopped running this one so what that is right now i'm not sure but you know always keeping tabs on you know moving trends and what's going to be big in, in the future so probably yeah look to launch another business for sure yeah, so you, you're probably a bit, a bit like me these days now, a bit unemployable, because once you start working for yourself, it's it's like it's very difficult to, I think, go step back into working in that that environment and, um, you know, follow those rules. That that was the thing that the guy from Timpsons was saying, you know, you, you know, you've got so many rules to follow. You've got no creativity. You've got no license to actually perform because all you're doing is just, and that kills, kills, can kill businesses. Um, but it's very hard to get right with giving people freedom and doing that that kind of stuff. But you, basically, he's developed a whole load of mini entrepreneurs within his, um, I think, within his business and all the guys who runs the shops and stuff like that. But that 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 that's great. Mm. Um, and if you could change one thing, uh, I'm going to ask you a taxing question now. If you could change one thing within your journey of Ideal Flatmate, what what would you have changed, and why? It's a really hard one. Um, there's not much to be honest because it's like even the bad things we kind of learn from or you just kind of you need to make the mistakes I think to kind of to realise what not to do in the future so yeah. I guess like we were, we were spending way too much on marketing for too long so if I'd and when we really realised that we were like what the hell you know why were we doing that for too long so we were just absolutely churning out money on Google Ads just chasing user numbers that weren't actually delivering much value to the business. Yeah. So I think, and then once we turned that off and stopped spending so much, it didn't really affect the user numbers. So we realized that we were throwing all this money away on something that wasn't really bringing a huge amount of value. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I look back and kick myself and oh God, if we'd bring that in a bit earlier, you know, we would have had been a bit more comfortable. So a lot, a lot more money to do other things with that exactly. might have been a bit more exactly. productive um, and stuff like that. I guess, I guess that's probably what we all, you know, we all as business people, it, it's like, you know, we do have to go through the ups and downs. We do have to learn. We do have to analyze. We do have to make some tough decisions sometimes. Mm. Uh, and maybe we are a bit slow. And I think some of the most successful entrepreneurs are probably quite quick at being able to get to that point. They've, they've got that ability to do so. Yeah. Um, maybe because they're monitoring things differently, maybe because they're a bit more ruthless with decision-making. I don't know, but it's just, um, I think and, you know, an observation for me is that that's that's one of the um, uh, traits of a, of a good entrepreneur. So as you're in, I'm going to ask, as this is a, a property podcast as well as a business mm -hmm. podcast, have you ever thought, have you, have you invested in property yourself? Um, or is that something that you put everything into the business and you're focusing solely on that at the moment? No, I have. I've yeah, bought a property and um, looked at running HMOs. Um, it was just like, yeah, I mean, as you know, the kind of tax changes have made it pretty tricky at times. And so having kind of made that leap to sort of get a second place and then look to rent that out, but it's definitely something on our horizon. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll probably come and speak to you about that as I went. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get your input. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just wondered if that's because you must be, you know, being involved in all of this stuff. You must be, uh, uh, it must be thinking about it a little bit. But again, oh, definitely, definitely. you know, sometimes though you need all the money to go in the business. You can't yeah. take lots of money out and all of those kind of things. And you need the business to work and succeed. But once you've got that money coming from the business and the business becomes a cash cow, it's, I think it's a good thing to invest in property to then have an asset and a, um, and building up that asset base and that income base from that as well, which is um, really, really good. So um, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go and um, finish the podcast? Um, nothing. Well, uh, there was a, we've got an offer actually for your uh, listeners, Mike. So if anyone, any landlords are listening or any people renting out HMOs, email in to hello at idealflatmates.co.uk uh, with the code frisbee 50 um, they receive a fifty percent off, so um, off our premium packages. So yeah, just a little plug there. And if you've got any, you know, I'm sure you've got lots of landlords listening that might be interested in using our site. So yeah, just would like to offer that to you guys. Yeah, that would be brilliant. So the best way to do it is hello at idealflatmate.co.uk. Was it? Was yeah, that exactly right. Yeah. And then then use the code frisbee fifty. Um, and then you get 50% off um, the um, uh, to utilize the services. I think it's um, uh, it's definitely something that's worth uh, looking at, um, the Ideal Flatmate platform. Um, as I said, I do have a little bit of an interest in it, uh, only a little bit, not, yeah. not a big bit, but a little bit because I thought it was a good thing and I love getting involved in businesses. And obviously, I know a little bit about how shares as well, so can give a little bit of um, input into some of those things um, as well. But it's been great talking to you today, Tom, and, um, you know, wish you all the uh, success in the future and that you've navigated some tough times and ups and downs and you seem to have found your riches and niches um, focused uh, on this. On this, And, um, yeah, it sounds like you've got some exciting things things ahead. And to everybody listening, you know, do go out and check out the, um, the platform and think about using it yourself. I'm sure we've got a few HMO landlords now who will be thinking about using it and seeing how they can create communities. You know, what's your view? In the buzzword in my sort of um, sector of, of individual landlords is co-living. You know, there are some big ones out there, um, uh, obviously the collective and, and other things like that, but co-living seems to be used as a word now instead of HMOs. Um, I don't think everybody is actually doing co-living because to me, co and co-living is is creating that community and creating that um but this is i think a real ideal tool for all these mm. landlords that really talk about matching tenants co-living creating environments where um you know tenants can share more of an element and create that community within the house um do you have you know is is that is that a target for you to try and get into these landlords or is it just the build to rent that you're really really focusing on at the moment no, definitely. I mean, we, we're focusing the product to build more services for the bill to rent. But as you say, it's kind of an ideal tool for HMO landlords. And, you know, that, those have been our users since day one. And we work with the collective, we work with a number of other co-living providers who see the value in, A, it's just another tenant finding platform. So if, you know, you're just using one or two, this is another one that you can try. And just to have that extra layer of, of interest, basically, in, in your tenants coming in and it's also sometimes a nice sell to your tenants to show that you've kind of added something to a different platform to try and find them good flatmates to live with. So it's a nice yeah. kind of PR for you, you know, landlords to use with their tenants. 
Yeah, I think I think again, if you're a tenant, you you feel a little bit more comfortable moving into somewhere that you're going to know people, and I, and I and I do think it's it's really good for those tenants who are moving into places into new areas where they may not know many people, and and the house is going to be a hub. You know, maybe they've got a job somewhere. You know, as you say, we've just had our load of people graduating, and we're just finishing their university now. They think, what are we going to do? Where are we going to work? Um, you know, they might have some jobs in places and it might not be a place that they know many people, so need to find somewhere to live. So they should be going to ideal yeah, platform. Definitely. <laughs> um, and then and then you know, it's gonna be part of the hub, isn't it? It's gonna be the people that they get to know as well as the people that they work with. Um, it's gonna form their base of their their little friendship groups, I guess, unless they are moving to places that other people are moving to. You know, London's big enough, I guess, to have people that you know in London. Yeah. Um, but you still have to live with people you get on with. Um, and I should imagine there's a ruckus of, um, you know, um, people who don't get on. So um, <laughs> it's all down to that spice rack is what I learned. Ah, exactly. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're if you not bothered about your spice rack, going over someone else who's not bothered about <laughs> spice rack. But there is something about keeping your spice rack all in order, isn't there? There is something about a spice rack. That's a headline so, for the episode. <laughs> yeah, spice rack. <laughs> you know, the significance spice of or not. spice rack. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll use that as marketing. Um, so thank you for your time today. I'm going to let you go. We're coming to the end of the episode. And um, just a quick what, reminder, um, it's hello, isn't it? Hello at idealflatmate.co.uk. Use the code frisbee50 if you want to start using Ideal Flatmate to find those Ideal Flatmates for your house shares or flat shares. Um, and um, I think it's a brilliant concept and really on point with where things are going at the moment. And I believe is the more value you can add as a landlord, and the more differentiation you can make as a landlord, like Tom was talking about the differentiation around this matching service that he's got. I think it's, you're going to get longer tenants. You're going to get a much better business, more profitable business and a more enjoyable business um, to be part of as well. So thank you for your time. And um, yeah, do get in touch. Remember to like and subscribe um, the podcast and share it with any friends you might find who you think could find this episode um, interesting. So thanks very much for listening. All right, and thank you for having me, Mike. Cheers. Thanks for coming. You've been listening to the Property Business Accelerator podcast with Mike Frisbee. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and at our website, propertybusinessaccelerator.co.uk.